I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media. And definitely follow along with us on LinkedIn. It's kind of where we post the most if you want to hear more about our content and what we're up to. So today, we're going to be talking about how leadership levels relate to leader well-being. And when I say leadership levels, I mean like, you know, senior executives versus like middle managers. It's a fun topic. That sounds super fun. I'm excited to learn about how leaders can care for themselves because we've been thinking a lot about leaders lately. So I think that this is very well-timed. Yes, definitely. It felt like a super relevant topic. New research just published this month. Um, but before we dive in, I do want to ask you a question. I feel like usually I ask you about like a leader you knew that was really good, but have you ever experienced a leader that was really bad at taking care of their wellness? Hmm. That is a good question. And I am sure that I did. Um, I can't, well, yeah, I mean, I can think of somebody, I actually, this is a good example. I won't say who it was or where it was, um, because what I'm about to say sounds a little insane, but I had (laughs) a boss who used to say that his dream was to die in his office because he worked like so long in life and so hard that he just couldn't like that it was predetermined to him that his place of death would be work. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. And I think that did two things. There were other things that I would say about this person that could have been better, but with regards specifically to wellness related stuff, I think that what that did was it sent two signals. One was that his expectation was that if you didn't work all the time and want to work forever and prioritize that as your number one most important thing in your life, then you were not as dedicated or you didn't care as much as he did, right? So that was one message that that sent. And, and obviously it seemed like that was sort of, you know, his preferred mode was for people to feel the way that he did. And the second thing that I think it did was it set a norm that people were, it was a smallish organization. And I Mm -hmm. think it also made people feel like there was no ability for them to ever get to the highest, most level in that organization. Like there was no aspiration for succession planning because he was basically saying like, I'll never retire. So I think Uh. not only did it promote this really negative sentiment around work needs to be your number one priority and everyone needs to work as hard as possible all the time, But it also made people leave because they were like, well, not only don't I like that, but if this person saying that they have no interest in ever having anyone succeed them, like, why would I 
I see no upward trajectory for me here. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Uh, and I think that happens a lot in organizations, not necessarily <laughs> the part that somebody <laughs> thinks they're going to stay Wishing there until to die they're literally, <laughs> yeah, no, no longer able to work. Um, but where, you know, the, it can get flat when somebody else is there kind of blocking the path, if you will. So that's mm-hmm. a very unfortunate, unintended consequence. Um, that is a very, well, that is, I think your example is more interesting than mine. Um, <laughs> well, it was just I weird. I mean, he was, a str- say that. he was a little bit of an odd bird. <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I don't know how many people aspire to dying in their offices, yeah. but, mm-hmm. um, you know, to each their own, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, so I was working in a place that was a little bit more toxic and negative just in general. Um, and my leader there, like he really tried to support the team's well being, mm-hmm. and he really tried to like make it okay for like me, let's say. Um, but his work hours were so absurd. Um, they were just it was a mess. Like the amount of work that he was doing and what the yeah. expectations that were put on him were really bad. So there was like a leader, like the basically the most senior leader of this company was not a great example mm-hmm. and was really pushing on people and just working absurd hours and making them work absurd hours. And that just kind of kept trickling down places. And so I don't know if he would necessarily always have been bad. Like my mm. direct leader would have always been bad at taking care of his wellness, but just in the situation he was in, he didn't know. I don't think he had the power or the ability to push back on things to get himself to practice good yeah. you know, boundaries and things like that. So it was kind of like a sad thing to watch yeah. because it wasn't like, I didn't feel like he was doing it to himself. Um, like sometimes happens like your example, but yeah. I, I feel like it was being done to him. Um, and it was really sad. Yeah. And that's probably a person that goes home and is like, you know, talking to friends and family about how they want to do things differently and they feel so much pressure and what, like, I'm sure if it didn't seem like it was being originated from him, that it was probably a situation where it was causing a lot of stress and strife. Um, so mm-hmm. that is a shame. Do you know if that person is still there? No, he's not. Oh, good. Uh, well, I think a lot happier too. So good for <laughs> you. Ultimately anonymous, yes. sir. Yay. I am happy yeah. for you. <laughs> An- anonymous, sir. I feel like that's gotta be like a really good, like handle on something like yeah. a really annoying social media, like X or, anonymous, you know, sir. formally Twitter. Yes. Anonymous, sir. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Um, uh, my person did not die at work. Um, and I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he died at all actually right now, but I do, what happened was his wife was like, listen, buddy, I've spent a lot of time in this house by myself and I'm not doing that. And so he was like complaining about it for a long time. And everybody was <laughs> like, you need to like, not do like you yes you should listen to her like you're well past retirement age just spend some time with your family and he like reluctantly was like okay (laughs) so so that's what happened there wow he did he did retire but 
Um, up until that point, he told everybody he was never going to. So um, it's not like he changed his mind at a time when people would have like benefited from knowing that. But in any event, <laughs> that's what happened. So, um, but that was a good question. Yeah, I think it's just a different lens. And I think it's important to think about those leaders. Like if you are an employee um, and want to move into leadership or if you're in leadership and you think about who in your life was really bad at, you know, managing their well-being and their work. And like, I think there's a learning there too, right? It's great to look at people that do it well and try to learn from them. But when you look at people that aren't doing it well, like what is the reason why they're not doing well there? Is it a personality thing? Like that's one thing, but is it like the environment they're in? They don't know how to say no. Like what are the things mm-hmm. that you can learn from that? Um, so anyways, that's why I thought the question would be interesting. Yeah. But well, it was. <laughs> Thank you. But now we can dive into like our key takeaways yeah. and then some more details on the data. Yes. I want to learn more. Yeah. So this study, like to me, after when I was reading it, I was like, this all feels so intuitive. Like the findings are so true. Like, I think I feel like they're just, they make sense to me. Um, So I'll be curious to hear your thoughts too, but I have four key takeaways. Cool. So the first one is that mid-level leaders, so quickly defining mid-level leaders, those are like your managers, senior managers, maybe in big organizations, a director. They're kind of like your middle layer of leadership mm-hmm. um, that have mostly individual contributors d- reporting to them. Um, so those are your mid-level. And the high level are like your VPs and C-suite, like people that generally have um, other leaders reporting to them. So mid-level leaders, that's the, uh, the beginning of the first takeaway. Okay. So mid-level leaders, they report worse health conditions than non-leaders and high-level leaders. Hmm. That makes sense. But yeah, I'm curious to hear why they think so. But you're right. Like, I wouldn't have thought about that on my own, but I have some thoughts about why that might be true. Yes. Yes. So we'll talk about that. Um, and well, takeaway two kind of gets to it a little bit. Uh, it's largely due to mid-level leaders having really high workloads. Mm-hmm. And takeaway number three, this effect is actually worse for women. Hmm. And then I have, oh, I guess I technically have five takeaways. I just wrote cool. down number three twice. <laughs> so <laughs> takeaway number four. Yeah, they are. Takeaway number four, not or number three, number two. <laughs> that was confusing. But takeaway number what? four. <laughs> the the I'm second confused. third takeaway. <laughs> oh man. Okay. This takeaway is that among men, it the level of leadership doesn't matter as much. Um, and leaders, if you're a man and you're a, a leader that's a mid-level leader or a high-level leader, you are more psychologically well than Mm. non-leaders but for women there's kind of two things happening so for women in general they have higher life satisfaction if they're in a leadership ranks Mm -hmm. um, than non-leaders but they don't feel like their work is meaningful when they're mid-level leaders so only Mm. high-level women leaders feel like they have meaningful work interesting that's extremely interesting. Yes. Now I need to know why they think this is true. Um, yeah. I have some thoughts, 
but I don't know if my thoughts are accurate. Um, I my thoughts are around like maybe life demands on top of work demands mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I will let you reveal the secrets of the article. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're probably going to be on the right track with what you're thinking. Um, this article was interesting because it's kind of, there's not a lot of research on leader wellness in general. Like when you look across the, the literature, like there's a lot about like what impacts well-being and mm -hmm. things like that, but less about like what is actually happening within the leadership ranks. And it's really important, right? Because we know that leaders behaviors impact the people around them and definitely impact their employees. And so if they're not practicing, you know, what they want their employees to do from well-being perspective, their employees are likely not doing it. So there's a lot yeah. of reasons why setting leaders is important. And I think, well, you and I know that we did study leaders too. True. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's a really interesting study. Um, and actually they looked at three different, they did three different studies looking okay. at a couple of different factors. So things like health conditions, psychological well-being, um, kind of combining the both of them. So there's a lot of data in here. So I'm not going to go through every single finding because there's, there's some mixed findings, but the general takeaways are kind of what I just described. Yeah. Um, so the thing that's interesting here, the physical symptoms, the general health conditions, like that being different for mid-level leaders is like a consistent thing that they mm -hmm. found time and time again. And this being really pronounced for women, it was continuously found. Okay. Um, they didn't have like a ton, like the things they measured were all in the workplace. So things like workload, job demands, job control, stuff like that. They didn't really have data on what's happening in their personal lives. So okay. gotcha. the conclusion that you're making, I think is probably likely true, but I they didn't have data to support that. Okay. That, that makes sense. So they were just looking more at like the workload type things. And then they had to, on the back end, I'm guessing that they might not have been expecting initially that they would find these gender differences. And then they probably were trying to think about why that might be the case kind of after the fact. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is really interesting is that mid-level leaders, women that are mid-level leaders actually have the highest job demands of anybody else. Mm -hmm. So of any other women, so whether, you know, non-leaders or high-level leader women, um, but also compared to men and men in their own level. So they have the mm. most demands put on them. So I was actually thinking back to something that we had written about before around like office housework and mm -hmm. wondering if that falls on this mid-level female leader to do like some extra scheduling or yeah. like figure things out because like the senior leader is not doing that. And is she not, she might not be delegating that to her, um, right. team. And so there might be some of this like extra layer of work that maybe doesn't get placed on men. Was the, um, job demands. Cause I'm thinking about this for the leaders in general and for thinking about the gender differences too, were the, the, um, demands questions about like, I perceive that I have a lot of demands in my job or was it like asking specifically about different dimensions of demands? Because to your point, I also was thinking about there's a lot of emotion work. Um, my colleagues and I mm -hmm. have talked about this before that, you know, students will come to my office and 
want to tell me about their personal lives and things that are going on with them that they're looking for advice or they want someone to look over their resume or they want, and they do that much less frequently with male faculty. Like they just think like I'm happier and I am happy to help them. I'm not complaining about it, but I think the truth is that both of us would be happy to help them, but they, mm. they imagine that I'm happier to help than the male faculty would be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. And there's probably something to that, right? Like, what are the relationships that these mid-level mm-hmm. managers have with their employees? And are they more supportive in some way? Or or are people leaning on them in a different way than they would um, maybe male leaders? But the job demands questions were fairly broad. Like, you know, I from the last time I um, did the survey, like, my job demands are higher or lower mm-hmm. than they were. Um, I have like a heavy workload. Yeah. Um, my jobs require me to like work really fast today, like things like that. So it is yeah. really perceived demands. Yeah. Um, and could account for some of those things, right? Like there's likely, uh, you know, calls that maybe people are being brought into with people that are struggling with something else. Like, yeah, there, I'm sure some of that is happening. Um, it's just not measured that specifically. Yeah. But that's actually interesting, right? Cause that allows for future research to dig into some of that stuff. But I think it also makes it it makes it impossible for us to say exactly what's going on, but it also makes it possible that some of these hypotheses are true that, you know, if you say you have a lot of demands, it could be just task demands, but it also could be relational demands. It could be office housework demands. Like there are a lot of different ways that that could show up. So I think that's actually really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is super interesting and it's very sad Um, because the other thing that I find fascinating here is we know from a presentation perspective that there's a lot fewer women at that high level leader rank in general, right? So there's a lot of women that get into the mid-level leaders. Um, when you look, I mean, just across like the U S right. If you look at the representation, you'll see like individual contributor obviously is the highest percentage of women, but then middle managers is still fairly representative. But once you get to the VP levels where you start that to see that like Mm -hmm. drop fairly dramatically. Um, so the question here for me that I was looking at is like, is there like, is well-being one of the reasons why we're seeing some of those things happen? Because if we're seeing women at this mid-level, just like burning out, like that's a huge problem and it'd be impacting our representation across the board. Yeah. It's really interesting that you're saying that because there's some preliminary data from a couple of studies that my colleagues and I have run where we've looked at women's perceptions of whether or not they think that they're going to be able to balance work and life effectively as a leader and women's perceptions more so than men of whether or not they're able to effectively balance work and life predicts their intentions to stay in leadership roles or predicts their intentions to want to take on leadership roles in the future. So if you're already feeling like you're pressed for time, you don't have any more time in the day and unless something changes, you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do. That's Mm -hmm. a cause for you to potentially remove yourself from, you know, or want to take a step back from work or whatever the case may be, right? Because you're like, well, I don't know how I can continue ramping up when I feel like I'm already on the edge. Um, Mm -hmm. Our data was kind of interesting because it showed that when we had people read something that talked about work-life balance as a personal skill versus as something that your organization should be thinking about creating structurally, 
that women um, had an especially strong reaction to, to thinking like, well, when they read the article about uh, whether or not work and think work-life balance is a skill, they're like, well, I don't feel imbalanced. That must mean I'm bad at this. And if I'm bad at this, it means I probably am not going to get better. So I have less intention to be a leader. Then when it's like your organization is responsible for creating jobs that help you have better balance, they were more likely to say, even if they were out of balance now, that they would want to take on leadership roles in the future. So it's like manipulable, right, by whose problem they think it is. But in this one, it's just like broad, right? They're having these job demands and they're probably feeling out of balance. And I would imagine that that might, like you're saying, have something to do with, even though that's not what they tested here, but that might have something to do with whether or not they're looking at those upper level roles and thinking they seem desirable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, one, I think that's super interesting that those kind of findings are coming out that we can maybe help people understand like where the balance issues are coming from and that it's not a personal failing. So then maybe we can keep people in the pipeline a bit longer, but it is really sad because I think that, you know, the more we ignore well-being as a problem, the harder it's going to be to like really allow everyone to get to those high level leader Mm -hmm. ranks. And we obviously like, think it's really important that we have diversity kind of at all levels and good representation right. everywhere. So like, it just seems like a huge miss to just kind of ignore that yeah. and, you know, be like, Oh, well, you know, these men, they really made it to those, he- these high level roles because they weren't, uh, you know, they're healthier. It's like, okay, but the women are having experiencing more demands. Like that right. is what we see. Um, everybody at that level is experiencing higher workloads. Um, so that is true, but you know, in addition to that, there's like other demands that are being put on women um, yeah. that are, you know, s- probably creating time issues, stress issues, etc. Um, and then we do see that there's a difference in terms of things like psychological well-being. Like in general, leaders have better psychological well-being mm-hmm. than non-leaders. Um, and they say that's mostly due to the fact that as you get into more leadership levels, you get more and more job control. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. mid-level leaders have less job control than high-level leaders. They're kind of stuck in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. They've got their employees. They have a little more power and more control than maybe employees do. But they also have people that are dictating a lot of what they do and, like, even what they say to their employees, right? So there's, there's still quite a lack, a big lack of control. Yeah. And that... You know, there were some mixed findings on job control within this paper, but it is interesting to see that like when they have higher psychological well-being, it's because of job control. So you need to make sure that your mid-level leaders feel like they have that control in order for them to be feeling well as well. As well, (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of interesting because talking about high-level leaders having to think about how to structure mid-level leaders' jobs so that they're less stressful – and I think that one of the things that's interesting about mid-level leaders having the most, um, you know, the highest demands and the highest potential for burnout rate is that I think whenever there's like a rite of passage like that, like, oh, like you like put your time in as a middle manager to have to like grind out and like that's how we separate the apples from the oranges and all this kind of stuff, right? We know that there's a likelihood for people who have done that, that once they get into that position, they're... Um, like more likely to expect that other people have to do that too, even if it's not necessary for success. 
So it's kind of interesting because it feels like, oh, once you get to those upper level leadership roles, it's a little bit better job. And so the takeaway is, okay, well, you shouldn't perpetuate that against people who are below you because you remember how bad that was. But we actually know like from the research that people tend to want other people to go through the gauntlet that they went through um, or not make Ugh. it easier than what they had to do. So I think that's a really good takeaway. And also to remember that you're not helping your organization net positive when you're doing things like that. Like you're making people mm -hmm. less well to your point, you might be removing people from the leadership pipeline who would have been a great fit, but who are burnout or can't see themselves there anymore. So just thinking about the negative consequences of those expectations is a good reminder because I think naturally a lot of people are just like, well, it was hard for me, so it should be hard for you. Um, even if that's not their conscious thought, mm -hmm. they hear people saying they're burnout and they remember feeling burnout, but then they're like, oh, well, I got through it. So like you need to, too, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's disappointing, but definitely you see that time and time again, like generationally when people are like, well, you know, these kids are complaining about work-life balance or whatever, whatever, but like we all pushed through, we worked 70 hour weeks and blah, blah, blah. And instead of like being like, oh, well, we can actually just make this a better process, right? Yeah. Um, there, that just seems to continue to happen time and time again, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. But um, I do think that it is also like... I don't know. There's something that happens, I think, psychologically when you get to certain levels or mm -hmm. with the way people treat you when you get to certain levels where it's almost like, well, I'm super important or my mm -hmm. job is super important and people are relying on me to go to all these meetings and do all this stuff. And a lot of times what happens is these high level leaders are pulled into meetings every second of their day. Yeah. And so then they have to prioritize that because it's like someone in the C-suite or the board or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you are going into these meetings that are like hyper important. And then you often dismiss mm -hmm. the lower level manager's needs because you're focusing on what's going on in your job. Totally. And so then that middle manager is kind of catching both sides, right? Because they have to figure out what's going on in this ambiguity because they never get to meet with their leader because they're so busy and they're so important. Mm -hmm. And then they might get some tidbits of things or some time and then they have to take that information and they have to then transfer it to their teams or they have to like keep things going even if they don't know what's going on. Right. Like, yeah. or like there's, there's just a lot of like disconnects in communication and it's really hard to break even mm -hmm. for very humble leaders that aren't falling into the trap of yeah. kind of like, Oh, well now I'm so important. It's because they're being pulled in so many directions yeah. that they're not doing a good job of communicating and they're not doing a good job of like making that environment better. Yeah. And we need to just be better about like the time that our leaders are spending. It should be much more intentional, much more meaningful. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't just be like, oh, well, so-and-so is so important to this level. Like, uh, we, you know, it's going to take you three weeks to get on their calendar. And it's just like, okay, well that, how is that helpful to anybody? Right. And right. how is that helping right. anyone be productive? And I've seen it in so many different companies where it's just this practice that like, oh, well, you're a VP or you are SVP and you now have an executive assistant. And they're kind of like managing your calendar for you. But rea in reality, that ma calendar management is being done by somebody that doesn't really know all the priorities that mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. Yeah. And 
the leader isn't given any space or time to think about what other people need on their team and they just come in and they basically like bark orders if you will and then go off to the next meeting so then it's like everyone just goes and does because so-and-so said this thing and then there's no like real dialogue or real guidance and like some leaders manage through that better than others but it it we're setting up this whole system for failure because we treat the executive leaders as this like special fancy thing that has to be in every meeting and has to do right. whatever, you know, it's like a weird dynamic from like yeah. a power perspective that I think is influencing some of this too. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before as well, but there are so many tips and tricks uh, that you can use to make meetings more efficient that people don't use <laughs> either um, that, you know, Steve, Rogelberg wrote that book about the surprising science of meetings and like how you can make your meetings more efficient and productive and um, putting some of those tactics in place too in addition to thinking about like well who's actually necessary here and are they prioritizing the right things and do we really need um, you know all of these meetings to be pulling on the leader's time or should they be spending their time otherwise but then there's also can we just take the way the meetings are structured a meeting culture and make them more efficient in general? Like, is that something to prioritize? So um, I think there's a lot of ways in which we could use time more effectively, and that might have some really positive consequences for people down the line when they're trying to just take the pedal off the gas for everybody, even collectively, that would, you know, tamp things down across levels and could make a difference. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so I have like one more thing I wanted to share because I did yeah. think it was really interesting. And I ha- talked about it in the, the the takeaways, right? We talked about some differences with men and women. The thing that I found fascinating was that, you know, for men, psychological well-being doesn't vary depending on what level you are. So that is kind of interesting yeah. to begin with. But then for women, the meaningfulness varies. And that I thought was really interesting. So like hmm. women that are middle managers typically feel like they don't have enough meaning in their job. And the reason that they found in the study was because of insufficient job control um, to combat all the demands that are coming their way. Mm-hmm. But then high level leaders felt like they had that meaningfulness. So there's like this, you know, those middle managers that are women are getting, have higher workloads. They're getting more demands and they have less job control than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And they are stuck Right. And so they don't feel like their work is meaningful because probably the demands like we were talking about are not always meaningful demands. Yeah. Yep. And I also think that the control piece is interesting because I interpret certain parts of my schedule as being under my control and other parts of my schedule as being more like um, I have to do this thing because if I don't do it, I'm not being the type of professional that I want to be. But I also know that there are other people who don't do those activities who are also viewed as, and like, I know they actually are professional. Um, And so something like, you know, a student's in a crisis and they want to meet with me that day or that week because they want to talk with me about what's going on. I feel like 
I would be remiss if I don't make time for that student, right? At the same time, so that feels like something I don't have a lot of control over. Like if my students are having a really hard time, that's not something I can control. And I kind of have to be like responsive to that. But I also, so I also think like there could be something to this emotional demands piece that it feels less controllable, even though the reality is you do have some control over that in how you respond and you don't have to respond to everybody's request. But if you are facing more emotional demands and that might be part of where it's coming from, that's one arena where you might feel like, well, I'm, you know, it's other people's issues that are intruding on my time and that's out of my control, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. Like it could very well be that. And like, obviously we're saying that we don't really know exactly what those demands are and what the control is, but I think there's a lot of stuff happening with women in this level that we're not people are not digging into as much sounds like you might be, but you know, that hasn't really been dug into. There's not like additional support given to middle managers. They often don't get enough support to begin with, regardless of gender. And then if you really think about it, something that always comes to my mind when I think about middle managers, like anytime I find a finding in, you know, my work or anything about middle managers, and if it's specifically women, I'm always thinking, okay, let's look at the relationship with age. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that here. I Put, I would put money on the fact that these women are likely at the height of caretaking. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, generally speaking in the U.S., across the world, though, we're still seeing, because some of the sample was in other countries, um, we are still seeing that women are 100% more you know, spending more time on caretaking than men, mm-hmm. right? They are, there's like so much more time that they're spending there. So if we're looking at middle managers and they're like in their, let's say thirties to like late forties, yeah, they're likely doing a lot of caretaking outside totally. of the home that men might not be doing as much of. So job demands aside, there's probably a whole other layer. So now their job demands are higher and their at home demands are higher. Right. Like they're, they're set up to fail. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense and could be helping us crack the code of lower representation of women, like you said, at upper echelons um, of the organization because um, it could just feel like it's too much across domains. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we need to take that into account as organizations and as high level leaders. You need to remember, you know, what it was like when you were in that spot or what are the types of challenges that middle managers might be facing and figuring out ways to make it better for that group Mm -hmm. because that group also has so much influence like yeah they don't have as much power but they influence all of the employees that are individual contributors and their productivity and what their experience is at the workplace and if they're not delivering because their teams can't deliver then what on earth is a high level leader right. presenting to their executive team? Totally. <laughs> Nothing. Cause they're not doing the task. They're taking it for everybody else. You know what I mean? Like yeah. their job is to take that information and use it somewhere. Like if their teams aren't performing because their mid-level managers are struggling, that is like a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, none of this burnout, you know, lower decreased well-being story is helpful for organizations on the whole and you rely on middle managers to be able to perform and do the job. And also, 
your best middle managers are probably your most burnout middle managers because they're probably the ones that are, you know, super conscientious, want to put in the time, want to get ahead, et cetera. And you may be burning them out before they even get a chance to, particularly for women. And so if you're interested in retaining your top performing middle managers and you're also, you know, interested in diversifying the ranks of your workforce, you might think about the extent to which your middle managers are feeling super stretched. Mm -hmm. Completely agree with you. So anyways, I thought it was an interesting piece. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of opinions and thoughts yeah. about it. Uh, but I think it's it's helpful to see this kind of work being done. And I'm hoping, um, you know, we can unpack some of this further and really understand the nuances in a woman's experience versus a man's experience as a middle manager and also like maybe getting some best practices on how to structure those jobs better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for people listening, your middle managers are not okay. And if you're a middle manager, no. you can use this episode to tell people in your workplace that you're not okay. <laughs> I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Please help me. But my yeah. chemical um, romance. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now that's going to be stuck in my head all night. Thanks I'm for that. Okay. <laughs> we probably have to have like some kind of copyright. I'm going to stop singing that. <laughs> oh man. Great song though. Yeah. Uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Probably anybody that's not like from our generation would think that it's a terrible song, but I don't oh my care. God. I it's it. good. It's good. It's good. I don't it's care good. who <laughs> anyone has to say about it. It's good. Yes. I enjoy it. So that's Me what matters. Too. But well, thank you so much for a good discussion, Katina. I thought it was really fun. Thank you for finding this article. Me too. Yeah. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any questions, thoughts, feedback, please feel free to send us an email at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on social media, on our website, workerbeing.com. And if you ever um, think this kind of content would be useful for us to bring to your organization, please send us a note. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. 